welcome to Jurassic Park for a minute where we'll discuss the second Jurassic Park sequel one minute time. I'm Brad. And Dave. And on this episode we'll be back. We'll be back. On this <laughs> in this minute we're back to Yeah. On today's episode we're back to discuss minute sixty one of Jurassic Park three. But uh, before we get to that, David, um, following on from the discussion at the start of the week with Jay about the uh, costuming for Wheatley, we uh, also have a lovely another article here that you've put up on Jurassic-pedia.com of the uh, Zach yeah. Mitchell costume guide. Yep, that's right. Uh, the Zach Mitchell guide was actually really, really simple. I ended up finding that I had everything for it in my closet. <laughs> it's just a pair of dark blue skinny jeans, a uh, dark red slash burgundy uh, um, crew neck red t-shirt, a speckled gray light um, zip hoodie and a pair of um, dirty old Converse uh, high tops. <laughs> and that's basically it. I mean, he has a backpack that we never really see much of. And he has an M65 field jacket that he wears at the beginning of the movie and then seems to be forgotten about, mm. which honestly probably would have been more interesting than what than the wardrobe he wears in the movie. And then if you just want to get fancy, he also has a pair of normal Bose headphones. That'd probably be the most expensive part of the whole costume. Yeah, really. Well, Converse, actually, oh, unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Those are pricey shoes for some reason. I mean, they didn't used to be, but after Nike bought Converse, all the prices went up and their store brand exclusive. Uh. So Nike, you can't use like store coupons on them. But no, it's good to see another um, another character's costume put up there on Pedia. Mm-hmm. What are you working on? Some others at the moment? Um, not at the moment. I'm I'm uh, kind of talking around with JP Motorpool and seeing and um, just seeing what we can kind of work out because uh, I'm trying not to step on their toes. They don't want to step on ours, you know. So we kind of each have something exclusive for our websites. So that they do, so that we're not just copying off each other, you know. Okay. Yep. So yeah. Um. In the meantime, anyway, you can head over and check out uh, the costume guide at Jurassic-Pedia.com. That and uh, a lot of other fantastic new articles as well. Hmm. Let's do this one at a time, shall we? All right. Ready to go in the sixty-one. Uh. Sure. As we enter minute 60 of Jurassic Park 3, the Tranodon had revealed itself in all its glory, and it picked up Eric and began to fly him deeper into the canyon. As we open on minute 61, Amanda and Paul begin running back across the bridge and up the landing towards the lower observatory and continue to run further along the catwalks deeper into the canyon. At the 8 second mark, we cut back to Eric as he's being carried by the Tranodon through the mist its claws gripping his shoulders tightly. At the 14 second mark, its destination is revealed as it swoops in low above a nest of baby Tranodons as they all look up, squeaking and pecking at the new food that's come towards them. Eric looks about himself for any sort of a weapon but can only find a human skull and picks up and throws at the tiny creatures before running from one rocky tower to the next. At the 28 second mark, Bill and Grant come to the end of the bridge and Billy looks up at the landing blade of his observatory and looks back at Grant and clips his parasail harness together. 
With shocking realism, Grant realizes what his student's about to do, and calls out his name to stop. But Billy runs up the stairs, and takes a couple of quick steps across the platform, and leaps up onto the hand railing. Grant yells and pleads with Billy to stop, but he doesn't. He turns and jumps from the railing, and falls straight down towards the canyon floor. At the 48 second mark, Billy yanks on the, on the parachute cord, and the dinosaur parachute explodes out of his backpack and catches the wind, and he begins to travel up into the canyon. And as the minute ends, Grant looks on in shock, before starting to run down the other catwalks, deeper into the canyon, after Amanda and Paul. As we end at minute 60, Eric was being carried deeper into the canyon, and everyone was sort of running to follow and catch up, and we're working with Amanda and Paul running back up the stairs and across that main landing we'd come in on earlier in the, uh, in the film, calling out Eric's name, and Amanda yells she can't see him. Which, of course, it's foggy. <laughs> even, even though in some of these shots we've seen the fog start to disperse. I, I was going to say, I mean, she, well, she wouldn't, would she? <laughs> yeah, you didn't even see him get picked off the bridge. <laughs> you just sort no. of managed to see him fly, get carried away as you sort of all come together in the middle. But we cut to Eric struggling against the clawed hands that have... Um, have the Tyrannodon's got him by the shoulders, which... That's going to leave a scar, <laughs> you'd imagine. They haven't mm-hmm. just got him by the uh, by the, the engine coat. And this is actually kind of where we get like a really big, deep callback to those really old kind of monster movies like 1925's The Lost World, where the Tyrannodons would pick their victims up, usually a kind of a woman character, um, by the arms and carry them off when we know that Tronodon was not, it just uh, didn't have the stability in its flight to be able to pick something up by its claws and carry it. Mm. Well, yeah, we had the internal monologue from Eric last minute when Jay was on with um, when he sees it on the bridge and remembering that Tronodons couldn't pick up a, a boy, but these things being <laughs> so much bigger um, mm-hmm. and then realizing that, yeah, they can, they pick him up and carry him away, obviously, but it's not. Probably not just the older movies too, but even cartoons. A lot of the 80s cartoons, your dino riders and anything that sort of features a pteranodon or a flying animal like this, they always mm-hmm. seem to pick up people by the shoulders and carry them. Which, when um, Zara gets picked up in Jurassic World, she does get picked up by the shoulders to start with, doesn't she? And then sort of Yeah, I think so. And I think that's around. kind of all she's in there. That's all they pick her up by, then they drop her in the Mosasaur pool. Yeah, I'm just trying to... Because it's got her again by the shoulders it's trying to lift her out of the water, too. Mm-hmm. I thought they, they juggled her around in the sky a bit and they had a leg at one stage. But I thought they did, too, yeah. yeah. But it's also, you know, like... I don't know, being carried up the canyon like this, I don't know how much struggling I'd do. <laughs> yes, it obviously hurt with the clawed hands in your shoulders, but they're the only thing sort of stopping you from falling <laughs> to intimate death because... Uh, Assumably, the um, the floor of the canyon this far in isn't as isn't all water and lagoon like it is at the bottom end of the canyon. So it's going to be a hard landing if you did <laughs> did fall and let go. But um, we do see here where the Trinidad is taking Eric. It swoops down low over some rocky pillars and drops Eric at its nest. And I just love the way this set area here is built with um, these sort of little rocky pillars coming up from the canyon floor below and. They got the uh, nests for the Trinodons on top of them. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, these kind of um, they're like a like a almost a volcanic kind of um, spire in a way. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. it's really weird because they're all like really close together, like it was just a uh, volcanic, like it was a group of volcanic openings here that the dirt wore away to, and you just left the dried uh, plug. You know? Yeah, I, I know lava tubes go through the ground, but is that what you call the ones that come up as well? <laughs> That'd be the vent, the volcanic vent itself that's sort of yeah. solidified and then yeah, everything else is eroded away. Again, mm-hmm. it just shows sauna. We know sauna's volcanic. But it also kind of reminds me of like Land of the Lost where they... um, if I've, not, I've never watched the TV show, with, but I've seen the uh, Will Ferrell movie... <laughs> and you got the uh, Tronodon nest right there in the heart of the volcano with the spires all over, and they kind of got to hop from spire to spire to get to the radio. Mm. Yep. Well, yeah, it's gonna that's gonna add to the little bit of action we see at the end of this minute as well. Just another uh, element that Eric's got to try and overcome to get away from the uh, the babies here. But but we see Eric lands amongst some bones and. Um, we get these little rod puppets start to squeak and hop towards him, and mm-hmm. we um, we didn't yeah. have rod puppets earlier when we had the compies, but we do here for these baby trinodons. Mm-hmm. And so Eric looks about himself and surprisingly finds a human skull, and without much thinking, sort of just picks it up and throws it, throws at him. This skeleton has caused a lot of uh, speculation in the fandom over the years, and if we weren't doing this minute or Jurassic Park three minute, it'd probably be one of the next ones up for Jurassic Mysteries, but there's a lot of lot of theories out there. Some of the top ones are um, being an unfortunate engine worker who didn't didn't get out with the evacuation, or uh, it's one of the lost... I think we discussed in The Lost World, maybe it's one of the uh, hunters that survived Operation Harvest and didn't make it off mm-hmm. the island with uh, engine when they cleared out. This skull actually has its own Pedia article. It's one oh. of, I think it's like the second article I ever wrote for the Jurassic... For uh, Dr- the Jurassic Park Legacy Encyclopedia, I'll, um, and I'll include that is, in the run, in the show notes for this episode as well. Then I didn't even, <laughs> yeah. even realise that it's own article. Yeah, it's under human remains. Yep. But yeah, the um, skull here is really interesting, just because. Um, I mean, like you said, we don't know what it's from, and so I'm think it's most likely that it was just some engine worker who didn't who got too close to the edge and ended up being food Mm. well yeah and i I was sort of looking comparing the the um the decomposition of it compared to what we see earlier with um ben and this one Mm. has been pecked a lot cleaner maybe just because there's more trinodons here to eat off it but it's sort of it might might lead to them being able to get out of the avia and Amanda opening the door isn't necessarily as important as what we see later and the whole the whole boat sequence at the front mm-hmm. with Enrique it explained why there's no bodies there because these animals have shown them shown themselves to be large enough to lift a human mm-hmm. and get those workers off but all those guys off the boat but that's well we see among the other uh, round Eric that there's not just the skull here it looks like there's a piece of a um, unknown bone, possibly a hip bone, because it's right next to the top of a fe- of a human femur. Mm. And we also see a bunch of other kind of uh, other complete human skeletons here. When um, Erica is being dropped there, we see at least two other skeletons. 
mm-hmm. at the top of this little ridge. Oh, the possibilities. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just I'm just imagining now a stormy night as that hurricane's getting closer and they're all getting the order to evacuate the avia and someone there's people mm-hmm. not getting out as those <laughs> trinodons are bursting into the cages. Oh, I love sauna. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> I do too, man. but Eric gets up and starts to leap from pillar to pillar here and trying to escape the uh, the babies. And we cut to uh, Paul and Amanda continuing to run along the catwalks. And finally, Billy reaches the end of the bridge and uh, he looks up at the landing above and seems to get an idea. And as Grant runs to catch up, Billy starts clipping up the straps from his parachute on his back. And, and thanks to a little bit of HD action here, we can see it's 8.15 on his watch. So if... Uh, time continuity on the watches and anything to go by. It's been about 45 minutes since uh, Eric handed Grant the Raptor Core earlier, which mm-hmm. is possible. <laughs> I don't... It is. Yeah, because yeah, it's still early morning here, so... I think it's interesting, though, because as soon as they get out of the aviary, it's sunset. <laughs> well, I think Paul would have a little bit more trouble getting those boat motors going than what we see later, especially with uh, eight-year-old fuel, but... If Jurassic mm-hmm. World's shown us one thing, it's uh, the ability of fuel to degrade over the years is uh, not something that happens <laughs> on offshore islands. Yeah. <laughs> but um, another something though that fr- our, our friend at Jurassicpedia pointed out though is that all of the uh, watches in Jurassic World are synchronized. All, oh. of the, all they all whenever they show the um, uh, whenever you see a watch on screen, it's the appropriate time for that scene. Mm. That's that's interesting because a lot of the time it's not. It's it's different now where you've got everything being recorded and high high def and all that and digitally. Mm-hmm. But sort of back here where we're still de- dealing with film, it's not really something that's. There's a lot of films famously having errors like that that um, mm-hmm. are oh, yeah. come and done. I doubt John. Justin had script issues to worry about. I doubt he was trying to synchronize watches. <laughs> well, even even poor old James Cameron not not doing um oh, yeah. Terminator. That too. <laughs> Terminator, uh, Titanic. I think we had it was a lot of hmm. watch issues. Well, just just yeah, um sort of issues like stand-ins, <laughs> stunt actors and stuff like that. Not um not anticipating just how clear the image is going to be in future years. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's definitely something that HD taught um, directors was how the how picked apart your movie is going to be <laughs> once it hits home release, and that's just something that they didn't really think about before the advent of HD. Back when this movie came out, 720i was HD. <laughs> oh, had now we got 4K, <laughs> and 8K is on the uh, horizon. Yeah. Which is interesting, because I think I heard somewhere the other day, apparently, it's I think once we get to 8K or um, beyond 8K, that's only as well as the human eye can actually see, so the, the quality is going to be better than what we can even see it to be. Or that's exactly what I, I've heard. The, I've heard the same thing, <laughs> that our eyes will only register so much resolution before the resolution surpasses what our eyes can see, and... I think that I heard that Jurassic World was filmed in HK. That there's an that that was the highest it, the highest resolution it has, and so I'm assuming there's probably going to be an eight an eight K uh, resol, resolution release 
somewhere down the long line when that becomes a thing. Mm. Well, even we discussed it um, last week with um, having extended versions of these films, like all six films extended in 4K, and that's that's what that and a little bit something more behind the scenes, and that'll uh, they'll definitely get me to rebuy mm. all six of these films again. My my computer monitor is 1080i. It's just under. It's not quite 4K, and um, unfortunately, so I if I there are YouTube videos that are uploaded in 4K that will uh, that my uh, screen won't let me view in 4K. The sound will be clearer when I click on that, but the camera quality doesn't change. Yeah. Or the video quality doesn't change, I should say, mm. which is unfortunate because. I guess that's going to be my next thing. I mean, 4K is only going to become the next... It's only going to move forward from there, you know? Well, yeah, I, we had this discussion when we started to see what Fallen Kingdom was coming out and what media and the whole 4K debate. And back then, I was mm-hmm. I had my TV, I had my Blu-ray player, I was happy. And then a couple of months ago, mm-hmm. I went and got a 55-inch 4K TV. <laughs> so, of course, mm-hmm. now... I'm looking at getting some films in 4K. It's if you're watching films, that's fine. But a lot of the television networks here don't have HD, and it's really, it's really noticeable watching some of the shows in that here, even the new. Uh, yeah, you, and, you really notice that pixelation. Yeah. My, my in the family room we have a um, a 1080i picture HD screen TV. I think it's like a 55 inch, and we probably won't update it for several years or at least until it dies just because one i mean most of the programs aired on television aren't in 4k and two i mean tvs are expensive yeah. <laughs> especially yep. a 4k tv yeah we usually wait for the technology to become a little bit more prominent and commonplace before we start updating our hardware yeah that's why i'll wait for 4k players to come down a little bit in price before i get one of them and even just some of the um some of the uh, getting out and about video and that I film um, out in the wilderness and the forests and that, even when I first got my drone, I was just happy with a um, 1080 <laughs> high def camera on it and not don't need to get the one that can do 4K because I'll never need it where now I'm looking at getting one we've got for 4K so <laughs> oh, things change mm-hmm. but after that tangent we get back to Grant and he has a uh, a shocked look on his face as he sort of sees what Billy's about to do and chases after him calling his name and we get Billy run up the stairs here towards the landing and clips another mm-hmm. strap together as he races out across it. And, and something I didn't notice about these electrical box that we mentioned a couple minutes ago is that it has a plastic case around it. It's got like a broken plastic case around around the box that looks like it would have been protecting it from the elements. Yeah. I'd imagine that the main thing, especially you see this mist here, like you're, you're wanting to keep the moisture out of those electronics mm-hmm. the best you can. And even, well, even though it's here too, like the only shelter we get is the cage itself. There isn't a roof on this landing that would keep the water out. Mm-hmm. And something interesting else is that it looks like it has one of the, like a phone, like a phone cable mm. going down on the uh, bottom of it, which... Maybe it was like a telephone to the uh, observatory up above. Well, we did have the computers on the wall up there. There quite possibly mm-hmm. been some sort of phone or communications 
Yeah. You'd, you'd think it'd be <laughs> saved running up and down the stairs all the time. I know my knees would hate that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I mean, I could see, like, if you're doing something, because right next to that, on the uh, next pole, we see a winch that goes down to the piece of a mystery equipment that we... Uh... Do we talk about that this minute? Um, I think we talked about that when we had the um, when we come out in the landing oh. itself. Yeah, right, right. Yeah. And it's weird because it almost looks like a radar cage in a way. Mm. It's like a um, I'm not really sure. It's attached to the winch, whatever it is, and it's got like some kind of sensory equipment in it, and it's round with a almost like a torpedo, like a torpedo shaped frame around. The whatever sensory equipment is inside of it. Yeah, and it's sort of odd being on this little winch too, because the winch would only have a couple of meters of cable, if that, on it. So it's not you. You might be dropping it down a little way, but it's not going down to the water or. Yeah. Mhm. Other ideas I've heard possibly about what this could be would be a um. Uh, like a. Man, like a man cage, like what you'd have on uh, for inspecting a um, the structure. But I didn't think it was big enough to hold a human ma- man. You know? Yeah, it doesn't look that big when we see it hanging from the landing. But I think one interesting thing is when we see Billy jump off here in a minute, it's completely gone. <laughs> it's not included in the CG shot. Um, no, no, it's there. It's just very, very uh, cloud shrouded. Oh, okay. Well, let's get there. Billy sort of runs across the landing and jumps up onto the rail, and um, as, as sort of Grant's continuing to yell his name, and I love how he just sort of thinks it's fine to jump straight up on this hand railing and thinking it's going to hold his weight. <laughs> but he sort of looks back one more time as if to say, I'm sorry, then jumps from the landing before Grant mm-hmm. has a chance to grab him. And he has his, as I said, so he sort of just drops like a stone down below <laughs> the platform. And, and it's the Landing itself is interesting because, in a way, the um, the netting around it has all completely been destroyed. And so it's kind of funny because it almost reminds me of the landing in, I'm not sure if you're familiar with the Disney 90s Disney Tarzan movie, where they build that kind of uh, tree fortress. Oh, I haven't seen it in a long time. <laughs> well, they build this kind of tree fortress out of the, out of the ship, and one of the areas has like an observatory landing kind of shaped like this and so like like that it's got netting all around it and it, it looks very much like this except it's wood instead of metal mm. it's sort of weirdy too like there's something on the canyon wall above those stairs everyone ran back up before so it looks like some sort mm-hmm. of radio antenna or something yeah i can see that again like the more the more obvious thing is okay production's been told to put any industrial equipment you can find in the prop room on this canyon wall and it doesn't have any use whatsoever to the aviary but just trying to think of what uh, what it could be what it could have been used for and what its purpose is mm-hmm. yeah i'm looking at the box again for the uh, that we see next to the uh, winch and i think i could almost make out a keypad in a way mm. so i i think it's a i think it's a telephone yeah. Well, we know from the um, from the kennels that they had the keypads and and that there for locks, mm-hmm. door locks, and that. So, whether a telephone mm-hmm. or some sort of access code needed to start something 
turn something off. Could have been, yeah. Um, yeah. That's another possibility. Because we see on the set itself, um, on the roof of the landing when they come out, there's those massive floodlights there as well, which mm-hmm. would have to be wired in the circuit this control board. Go over, <laughs> go over these photos for hours. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, Billy falls straight past the camera as the uh, parasail deploys and opens up completely. Lucky for him. <laughs> there's a, enough uh, time there for it to come up and sort of Grant looks down as Billy floats deeper into the canyon. And... Um, he begins to run along the same catwalk that Paul and Amanda had run down earlier. And we also here get the start of that sort of militari- militaristic um, style drumbeat in the theme where we get mm-hmm. it a lot more at the end of the film with the main theme, or the main Jurassic theme, sort of having that military thing as well. But it's it's one thing I do love. Back to the Future's got that sort of military march um, drums in it. And I never even noticed before, but in Jurassic Park in the bunker scene when... They're um, getting the guns out. You, you have that sort of militaristic drums there as well, which I um, never knew before and actually quite enjoy. So, yeah, drum beats uh, go very well with Jurassic Park. One of my favorite parts of the first movie is when they got the uh, bongo drums going on during the Welcome to Jurassic Park track mm. when they're going through the gates. Where the when they're first going through the tour gates and we see the. Um, and then Richard Kiley says, "Welcome to Jurassic Park." Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then of course Weems really goes overboard or goes uh, oh, yeah. pretty good with it in the Lost World, which we can't say enough about. <laughs> um, but uh, as the minute ends, we cut back to Eric as he's sort of leaping onto another pillar and falls, and the uh, the babies catch up to him and begin to peck at him. But um, I suppose before we get heavy, or before we go to script and novel, the uh, and the puppets and that for the Trenodons, I think they work work fine. It's mm. now nowadays you sort of you know they're clearly clearly puppets, but I'm sort of glad they are, not just CG of Eric sitting there rolling around pretending he's being attacked by something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, what I think is great about these little puppets is how much they're like the adults, mm. and you can even see like little picnol fibers on their along their backs that would have filled in as they grew older. And, of course, the big kind of uh, bulky te- uh, beak and the little tiny teeth in, inside of it. <laughs> yeah, well, like we talked about enough about the teeth last minute. <laughs> <laughs> um, briefly looking at script and novel comparisons, uh, we get the Trinidad carrying Eric up into the canyon as shown in the film, but uh, Grant looks up to see Billy leaning out over the observation platform and he yells no, but Billy replies, I can get him, I know the consequences, so... We get a bit of dialogue between Billy and Grant in the film, in the uh, script, but Billy steps off and he falls down past Grant, Paul and Amanda, like a stone, because they're still down on the bridge. And finally, the shoot deploys. And there's a couple of sections of the script here that have been omitted, so it um, makes me wonder what what was cut from the script here. Maybe some more dialogue, um, or Billy learning to steer the shoot, but. Uh, Grant, Amanda, and Paul are only, are now only about 50 feet away from Eric and uh, can sort of see him fighting off the babies, so the mist is definitely starting to lift deeper into the canyon. And uh, we also get Billy circling the nest here um, and the adult crashing down through the mesh catwalk to block their path. So in the script, it all happens a little bit early than what it does in the film. Um, in the film, we get a bit more running <laughs> running and calling out to Eric, as, they, as especially as... Paul and Amanda make their way further up the uh, canyon. Uh, 
Mm-hmm. But uh, in the novel, the Trinidon just drops Eric and he falls into the mist, which I reckon would have been a real cool shot of him getting carried up and just all of a sudden it lets go of him and he falls into the mist and Eric's got no idea that he's about to land in uh, a large bowl of mud and branches that's about the size of a giant satellite dish um, as Paul and Amanda run deeper into the canyon. Grant hears a sound and looks up to see Billy leaning out of one of the huge observation deck windows, which had me question if he was back up in the uh, observation, if he ran back up to the observation room to get the height, wouldn't he just jump out and fall into the cage of the (laughs) aviary? I'm assuming it was probably just to get the height, because otherwise, I mean, parasailing is not exactly, is not exactly like the same as flying. You can't just circle back the same way. You gotta, you're kind of stuck uh, dealing with the winds and, you're at their mercy. Mm. No? Yep. And at the uh, at the nest, oh, I'm assuming that's just the uh, the main landing area. And they've said windows for some reason, not back up to the top of the canyon. But at the uh, at the nest, Eric uses the human skull as a shield and swings a thigh bone like a sword. Um, but he's <laughs> starting to get tired. And we sort of mentioned before how there's more than just the skull in the uh, in the nest. But I suppose one thing we didn't mention was. Um, Billy's plan, and obviously he's seen the Trinidons are in there. Maybe he knows, being a um, being in paleontology, he knows a bit about Trinidons and knows that they sort of sailed the thermal updrafts. And if he jumps mm-hmm. off, he'd be able to sort of follow the same updraft. Um, in the script, he sort of know he acknowledges to Grant that he can do it, and he knows the risks or knows the consequences. So he probably um probably assuming that he can catch one of these updrafts and be able to fly up the canyon after Eric and not just slowly drift down to the water and achieve nothing. <laughs> but that's 61. Dave, anything else to discuss before we get heavy for the week? Uh, no, I think we're good. Alright. If you want to get a hold of us, you can email us at lostworldminute.com The main website is drasticminutes.wordpress.com and you can find The Lost World Minutes and Drastic Minutes over on Facebook the uh, pages there. David, where are you on Twitter and Instagram? Uh, Twitter, we are at Jurassic Minute. Uh, Instagram is the Jurassic Minutes Podcast. Some of the worst things imaginable have been done with the best intentions. This is how you make dinosaurs? This is how you play God. If we split up, I'm going with you guys. Dinosaurs lived 65 million years ago. What is left of them is fossilized in the rocks. And it is in the rock that real scientists make real discoveries. Now what John Hammond and InGen did at Jurassic Park is create genetically engineered theme park monsters. Nothing more and nothing less. Uh, Are you saying that you wouldn't want to get onto Isla Sorna and study them if you had the chance? No force on earth or heaven. Get me on that island. You're Desky. Hello? Charlie! Charlie! Hello? Charlie, take the phone to mommy now! Take the phone to mommy! It's the, it's the dinosaur there! Okay.